All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Hilke Hilkema. I'm one of the pastors here. Todd is uh, at family camp teaching at Forest Home. And we're going to continue our marriage series. One plus one equals one. And it's, it's wonderful when that works according to God's design. Each week, we've had the privilege of hearing from a married couple. And this week, we have the privilege of hearing from Doug and Lynn Ray Dupree. And um, we're just going to ask them. You can cheer. We can cheer for the Dupree's. They are... Um, each, each week, we're asking couples to share a little bit about uh, their marriage, what oneness looks like, and um, maybe just to start off, guys, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, how many kids, how long you've been married, grandkids. Give us a little bit of context. Okay. So you can tell by the photo up there that it was complicated from the start. <laughs> <laughs> And you were probably thinking two things. What were they thinking, and are they crazy? And uh, it would be yes to both of those. So when we first got married, our kids were both, uh, the smallest ones were five. So we had two five-year-olds, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And what one of the five-year-olds didn't think about doing, the other one did. So they were always in trouble um, either separately or together. You can tell by the picture there that I have a hold of our son's hand because he was probably getting ready to take off in that picture. And that was kind of how it went. But anyway, so 30 years later, we uh, now have seven grandkids uh, in addition to our blended family here. And those grandkids range in age from 2 to 19. We were so happy when the 2-year-old came along a couple years ago because she was a sweet little baby granddaughter. And I don't know, I'm a little bit partial to girls, and the granddaughters outnumber the grandsons five to two. <laughs> and uh, so we really enjoy and, and just love spending time with our, our grandkids. Um, one of the things I think that um, helped us to be successful yeah, I, with our blended family was the support of our family and friends. Len Ray's mom and dad lived in the same town that we did, and also her grandparents were still alive when our kids were little. And they volunteered to keep all four of them over the weekend uh, once or twice a year so that we could get away. And one of the other things that we did and, and made as a priority is once a week we'd get a babysitter. Now, sometimes that meant that we had to get the babysitter at 9 o'clock after we put all the kids to bed, um, and then we would go to Late Show, but we, we did things together to get to um, be one, her and I, so that we were on the same page. Yes. Man, yeah, cut me out. I'm a part of this too. Like, okay, um, maybe just share a little bit practically what did oneness look like for you guys? How did you guys kind of cultivate that? As you saw from our picture, um, and as Doug said, things were complicated. The day we got married went pretty well because everybody got to stay up past their bedtime. So we had lots of time that day, and everybody was happy, and things went well. But soon after that, we uh, realized that life together as a blended family, the Brady Bunch, we've heard all the jokes, um, 
was complicated and we had we were packing suitcases sending kids off to their other families where they had brothers and sister half brothers half sisters and it was a life that we weren't part of and so to have that oneness uh, we feel like we talked about this well what what was it that kind of helped us forge that familiness and that oneness and that was that we had we made communication between us, conversations, time to talk, uh, a priority. And uh, sometimes, like Doug said, because we had four small kids, it was hard to keep babysitters. They'd come once, and then they wouldn't want to come back. So we figured out that if we fed them and put them to bed, we could get a babysitter to come and just, you know, keep the house from burning down kind of thing. So... Um, it was late. A lot of conversations happened late at night, but in our conversations, we, we were able to share. We knew that we could share whatever was on our heart, whatever was going on in our lives, and I've, I think that really lent towards our oneness. Plus, then we'd have family meetings with our kids um, all together where they could share what they were feeling and, and what was, how they were seeing things, and so I think that communication between all of us really helped with the oneness. They hated those family meetings, too, because somebody always thought they were in trouble, and we would just say, hey, if it applies to you, take heed. If it doesn't, then just forget it. Um, but one of the things that I, I um, forgot to mention, too, is that um, 11 months into our marriage, um, we had uh, my two daughters full-time, and so we had all four kids pretty much uh, most of the time. So. They didn't do a lot of coming and going like a, a normal blended family. And so they were with us uh, most of the time. We always made it a priority to have dinner together. So at least one meal during the day, we'd all get together. And uh, some of the best times that we had were around the uh, dinner table at night, just laughing and, and talking about things that happened during the day. So we made that a priority. And so I think just, you know, God's grace in all of this is is what kept it all together because certainly wasn't anything that we did <laughs> because we probably did a lot of things wrong. Um, but one of the other things that Lynn Ryan and I uh, learned very early on is that we needed to be a part of each other's worlds, like what was going on in, in each other's lives, not just she has her own interests and I have mine, but we needed to cross over into those things because some of them, some of the things that she is interested in, frankly, I'm not interested in. Uh, even today, she plays pickleball four or five times a week, and that's not me. And so, but I'm involved in that. Like, I know all of her pickleball friends. Like, I go down there to the courts, and if, if there's a tournament, then I go and I help out. Or if there's um, some event that they're putting on a fundraiser or something, I go and help out. If there's a dinner or a lunch, I go. And so I'm supportive in that. And then um, when I was still working at the fire department, she would come to different events that we had. She knew all of my... Hello? <laughs> okay. She knew all my coworkers, and so we were involved in each other's lives that way, and I think that contributed to our oneness. I think I still do. Hello? Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, I was talking to Lynn Ray a little bit earlier, and we have one more uh, proposition for oneness for you guys, and that is if Doug starts playing pickleball. So... <laughs> Okay, there's way too many injuries out there, so that is not happening with me. Get out of here. Thanks, guys. You guys are awesome.
All right, we'll keep using this one, no big deal. Um, we're going to continue our marriage series, and each time, each week we've gathered, um, starting off, we've given some, some reminders, some guiding principles that we've chosen to, to adopt to help steer our time each week. So I want to kind of review those again with you guys. So starting with number one, it says this. It will be up on the screen. We've chosen to look at the topic of marriage to provide clarity as to what God's word says about the marriage union he designed. There's so much misunderstanding, so much confusion about what marriages should be, should not be. And um, so it's incredibly important that we take some time to discover what God's word says to bring clarity in our own understanding. Number two, this series is primarily aimed at those who are not yet married so that you would begin to orient your decisions around God's design for marriage now. This is very much a worldview question in preparation for those that are not yet married to form a foundation, a healthy understanding of marriage and what it should look like. Um, I have a wonderful friend in, in my home group, and she's a single lady, and she shared just about a week and a half ago or so, she just shared how much she has enjoyed and just loved this marriage series as a single woman. And it kind of caught me off guard. I was a little bit surprised, to be honest with you. But then she shared that just how important, how valuable it's been for her to, to, to learn these principles, even uh, to guide if she were to get married in the future, but also very much it will allow her to engage with her relational world with couples and to be a, to be a source of grace and truth. And that was so encouraging to me. I wanted to share that with you this morning. Number three says this. Because God's design for marriage is not lived out fully by any of us, there will be constant reminders of where you need to grow and mature. Isn't that true? We are imperfect human beings created for oneness. But there's a lot of our imperfections that can easily get in the way. And this series is designed to help us to continue to become more like Jesus. Number four, no matter what the state of your marriage, seek the truth of God with the spirit of God in the grace of God to live out the gift of God that he's given to you in one another. We're going to pursue God and his truth. And by his grace, we will live out that truth through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Because marriage is hard. Constant challenges. Maybe challenges uh, as simple as this. In just a few minutes, it's lunchtime. I hate to remind I'm already hungry. But, um, and and, and your, 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 um, your wife will say something like this. Hey, honey, what do you want for, for lunch? And then you respond... I don't know. What do you want for lunch? And it kind of goes back and forth, and then, and then someone says, well, I want to have kookas for lunch. And then this person says, no, not kookas. We just had that two days. You just asked me what I wanted for lunch. I just said what I wanted for lunch. And then, has that ever happened to you? Like, I, I know, I know. Maybe it's, honey, let's, let's sit down and kind of talk about our finances. Because that's a fun conversation. It is absolutely no secret that finances are a major point of friction in many, many marriages. It's hard. 
What do we value? And, and it, it's just hard to, to have this dialogue. Countless marriages have been deeply wounded over this topic of finances. Countless marriages have split over finances. Maybe it's the challenge of raising kids. These crazy creatures that God has entrusted to you and um, you feel this responsibility and how, what does this look like? And, 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 and you and your wife sometimes see things differently and wow, that's hard. How do you respond when one of those lovely creatures mouths off at your spouse and you're like, oh, what do I do? And, or maybe it's just... We all make mistakes because we're human. Jody and I, my wife, Jody, um, just celebrated our 15-year anniversary in Hawaii last month. It's actually this week as our anniversary, but um, and we had an awesome time. So I put kind of the trip together. Uh, I booked flights. I had the hotel resort set up and uh, a rental car. Had it all kind of dialed in, figured out. About two weeks before we were supposed to leave, like, you know, what time is this flight leaving again? I know it's in the morning. I go on my phone. Uh Uh-oh. And just like, I kind of panic. I booked the wrong dates. Yeah. We were supposed to leave on Monday, but apparently our plane wasn't leaving until Tuesday. I was really close, off by just one day. I mean, super close. It created a mess and lots of phone calls. And $500 later, things were back to where they were with all the reservations and stuff like that. $500 mistake. Yeah, that's fun. Because it's these situations that are a perfect opportunity to strain our marriages. But they're just as much of an opportunity to nurture and grow our marriages. It just boils down to our response. So our big idea, our big idea this morning is simple. That husbands and wives must be rooted in Jesus Nurturing the marriage with love and respect. Husband and wives, rooted in Jesus, nurturing the marriage with love and respect. Last week, last week we uh, taught, spoke about our roles as husband and wives. If you missed last week, listen to it online. I learned so much. It was so helpful in my thinking about my role as a husband. And the things that he shared um, identified um, that wives have been placed by God to serve in the role of helper. And helper absolutely does not mean my little helper buddy. He explained that even God himself is referred to as our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Our helper is a source of strength and wisdom. That's a very different picture. And it's an awesome picture. It's an awesome role that our wives get get to live out. And husbands are called to sacrificial, loving leadership. 
And we'll talk a whole lot more about that even this morning. Our text this morning is Ephesians 5. It's basically the quintessential marriage passage. I've used it in weddings. But there's so many wonderful truths here. We're going to take a look at verses 21 through 33. But we're going to start with the end. Verse 33, if you want to look there in your Bibles. It says this, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It boils down to this, love and respect, love and respect, which happens to be the book recommendation. Check this out. Love and Respect by Dr. Egrich. Uh, I had a chance to attend a Love and Respect seminar a number of years ago right here at Trinity. Amazing. It was really, really insightful, really helpful. Um, now, to, to summarize this book, let me uh, read three quotations uh, to kind of help you get an idea of what this book is about, and I think it will frame the rest of our time this morning. Number one, wives are made to love, want to love, and expect love. Husbands are made to be respected, want respect, and expect respect. Number two, when a husband feels disrespected, it is especially hard to love his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, it is especially hard to respect her husband. And number three, often we focus on our own needs and simply overlook the needs of the other person. You see how it's all interconnected? That is God's design. If this resonates with you, I encourage you to pick up that book. Now let's back up to the, jump up to the top of our passage, verse 21. It says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. This is talking about mutual submission. This is talking about a Philippians 2 lifestyle where it says, consider others' interests before your own. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. This is a serving lifestyle that every single person in this room is called to. Keep that in mind as we now look at some more specific commands related to husband and wives. Verse 22 goes on to say, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Wives are called to, res- to, to willingly respect their husbands. Wives are called to willingly respect their husbands. That can be a real challenge. When we talk to talk about these truths. Because the fact is, many of us have a very poor understanding of what this should look like. We've had poor examples in our own families, perhaps. We've had poor examples displayed on the screens, the TV screens, the movie screen. Submission, maybe for you, means doormat. And I couldn't be further from the truth of God's word. It's also very true and, and just heartbreaking that there's through wives have been abused in the name of submission. 
And there's nothing that could be more offensive to God than to use his design and manipulate it towards abuse. But it has happened. This is not talking about submission to this authoritarian tyrant. But a sacrificial, loving, self-giving, selfless leadership. The word submission. Even when we look at how submission plays out in Scripture, the easiest illustration or example I can give you is to point you to the Trinity, the Godhead. You've got God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can we all agree that God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are fully equal, fully equally God, fully deserving of all honor, glory, and praise? Yes. But then we look and see how the Trinity functions. We see that that God the Father sent the Son. The Holy Spirit sent. And we see that the Son submits to the Father's will. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. As he is about to lay down his life for the church. That's what submission looks like in the Bible. That's the model the ultimate example of submission represented in the Trinity, a functional subordination preserving all equality, no sense of inferiority, perfect according to God's design. And what motivates a wife towards submission? It's not how awesome the husband is. It's her devotion to Christ. Out of reverence for Christ, it says. Now, understand that even there's a, it might be weird to talk about this stuff. And maybe you're not quite on board yet. And part of my thinking in preparation to talk about this is I would love for you to hear as, as a, um, for, for, for you wives and, and, and women, to hear from another female. To hear from a woman's perspective about living out God's design. So I'm going to invite my wife up here. And um, come on out, Jody. And what I've asked Jody to communicate this morning to answer two questions. How does this submission, respect stuff, not make you feel inferior, less than? And then secondly, on a just very practical level, what does this respect and submission stuff look like? Paint us a picture of of, of what this looks like in, in, in practical terms. So, here you go. Thank you. Good morning. 
Um, it's fun to be here during third service. I'm usually not here during third service. So thank you, and thank you, Hilke, for allowing me to come. It's actually something that I feel really passionately about to help us as wives understand God's design for marriage and what that role of helper looks like. And like Hilke mentioned before, I think that our world gives us such a distorted view of what submission and helper looks like. The world um, wants us to think that to be submissive is to be weak, unintelligent, passive, less than. And that, honestly, if that's what God was asking us to be as wives and women, it would be really difficult for me to get behind that as well. Because I know that God has given me gifts that I bring into marriage. He's given me wisdom that I can share with Hilke. And yet that is so not at all what God paints as the picture of a helper, um, as wives being the helper. I really appreciate what Todd talked about last week. He said that um, a helper brings strength and wisdom. It's a strong, dependable woman whose partnership makes her husband better. It's a partnership. What an incredible role we have as wives to be that type of helper to our husbands who are leading our families. And um, honestly, it is, it's truly a joy to be able to use those gifts, to use that wisdom, that strength that God has given me to be able to partner with my husband in that role as, as helper and wife. Um, <clears throat> Todd, uh, also just realizing like what Hilke had mentioned too, a the Holy Spirit is called our helper, and we know, obviously, that that's not a subservient type of position, role that he's given. We are called helpers, and it's such an incredibly important role. Todd said last week that godly leadership is the type of leadership that any woman would want to follow. Submission is a willingness to follow that leadership. And um, practically speaking, it might look a little bit different. I know... Um, You've probably heard about love languages, and as wives, we are probably feel love differently. I might feel love one way, you might feel loved another way, and that goes the same way with respect. We might realize that our husbands feel respected when we do A, B, and C, and another husband a different way. But I have just six kind of practical ways that I think across the board are ways that we as wives can honor and respect our husbands. Um, and you, I would encourage you to get to know the ways, some more ways that you are able to show respect to your husband. Um, and I also just want to say quickly um, that submission isn't about Hilke asking me to submit to him. It's all about God asking me to submit to Hilke. And so it's really about my response to God and am I being obedient to him. And I truly do submit to Hilke um, out of my reverence and out of my devotion to Christ. Um, so the first way that I said that we can respect our husbands is to trust him. I don't know that there's a way that we could truly re show respect if we don't trust first. And tell your husband that you trust him. Let him know that you trust his leadership. Um, mostly in our relationship, I would say 99% of the time, we come to agreements together. He asks for my advice. I freely give it to him. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he wants to know my opinion on things. How should we do this? What do I think about this? What do I think about that? And 99% of the time when we talk, we come to an agreement together, and it's very much mutual. That 1% on rare occasions when we find something that we don't agree on, and we've prayed about it, and we've sought counsel, and we still kind of come different places, that's when I say, 
I trust you to make the final decision. And I do, I truly do trust that the decision he makes as he leads our family is one that's going to be in the best interest of our family, and I'll support that. So trust your husbands. Encourage his leadership. Um, sometimes our husbands need a little bit of encouragement to take that lead. It might not be what's most natural for your husband, but encourage him. If you see that maybe he's not taking that leadership, instead of, like Todd referred to last week, grabbing the wheel and taking it over yourself, encourage him to do it. Let him know that God has created him to be such an incredible man with such incredible qualities to lead your family well. Especially if he's going through a difficult time, perhaps he's lost a job, something that can tend to make a man feel like they're not doing a great job, let him know what you see in him, that you see an incredible man that can lead your family. And, um, sorry, I lost my spot. Um, and I would also encourage you to encourage him to lead your family spiritually. Even if you as the wife might be further along in your journey, your spiritual journey, I would encourage you to celebrate his efforts to lead your family and allow him to to do those things, even if they look different than maybe what you would do yourself. Um, third, speak well of your husband. I have been around a lot of people who, um, a lot of times wives will get together and say all the things that they are annoyed about with their husbands and all the ways that they their husbands didn't do what they wanted them to do and all of this, and that is not good. It's not okay. We need to be the ones to speak well of our husbands to others. Praise him around other people. Brag on him. Think about those things that are great. I want others to know how much I love and respect my husband because of the words that I use about him. Focus on his strengths. Let's face it, we all have weaknesses. Um, just a little bit ago, Hilke and I were laughing about one of his weaknesses, and he allowed me to share it. And by allowed me, I mean he laughed when I told him that I was going to share it, so I took that as full permission. Um, but... You know, we have friends who will talk about the husband wanting, and this might be you. The husband comes home from work, and his way of unwinding is making a five-course meal in the kitchen and just loves to cook and, you know, leave it to me. This is going to be my thing. That will never be our reality, and that is okay. In fact, I won't say that he does not ever do anything in the kitchen. He does have one kind of famous meal. It's called Daddy's Famous Noodles, and it's Top Ramen. So... <laughs> There's that. But he is an incredible griller. He's a master chef. All that to say, if I were to focus on the fact that my husband doesn't like to cook in the kitchen and doesn't really help out with that aspect, and that's what I focused on, that would be doing such a disservice to all of the many strengths that he has. So instead of focusing on his weaknesses, I focus on his strengths. Instead of complaining about the things that I wish would be different, I celebrate and praise him for the things that he does so well. Uh, be gracious and forgiving. I mess up a lot, truly. There's times where I wake up with a terrible attitude or I make really bad choices or, you know, the list could go on or on, make big mistakes. And one thing we learned early on was to be gracious to each other and quick to forgive. And you remember the story that Hilke shared about the $500 mistake to went on our trip to Hawaii? I could have so easily... Well, first, it could have so easily been me making that mistake, honestly. I mean, we could have looked at it and thought it was the right date, got the dates mixed up. I realized very quickly 
that I could have been the one making that mistake. And because of that, my response to him, even though it could have been like, are you kidding me? Wait, what? You booked it on the wrong date, you idiot. Um, I, I just realized, you know what? It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. We're going to get through this. It's, don't stress. He was stressed. He was really stressed. And there was a portion of part of me that was really stressed. But at the same time, I just wanted him to know I wanted to give him a gracious response. I would have wanted the response given to me to be gracious, and I thought that was important to him as well. Um, and finally, make your husband a priority. I think we all can agree that today are, there's so many things vying for our time, whether it's kids or school or work or homework or projects or even ministry. There's something on our, there's lots of things on our plates, and many times there's things filling up our calendar. And it's so easy to let our relationship to our spouse be the first thing that falls by the wayside. And yet next to our relationship to the Lord, it's the most important relationship that we have. And so it's so important as wives that we set aside time to make our husbands a priority. Whether that's when he comes home, when the kids go to bed, um, regular date nights, or even celebrating 15 years by going to Hawaii. I just want to encourage you to make your husbands a priority. And just really enjoy the fact that you have this great opportunity to partner well with your husband. So, thank you. Just a couple final thoughts on, on, on submission. Um, I want to make it real clear that wives should never submit to abuse. Never okay. Number two, and wives are not called to mindless submission, which looks maybe like, oh, whatever, he's, he's got it, he's the leader, like, I don't know, it's still his deal. No, that's not being a partner. You get 100% in, 100% investment, and we do it together. Wives are not called to follow their husbands into paths of destructive sin. We obey God, first and foremost. And then we're all called to mutual submission, serving one another, serving one another. Now let's talk about husbands. So the instruction to husbands is three times as long. All that to say, let's get comfortable, let's settle in, and uh, you know, we'll be here for a while. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Husbands, um, jot this down. Well, everyone jot this down in your notes. <laughs> Husbands are called to sacrificially love their wives. Husbands are called to sacrificially love their wives. It says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a huge challenge. That is a super high bar that's been set. But even think about this weekend. As we, as we celebrate and, and, and have... Memorial Day weekend, and, 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 and we remember the sacrifice 
that many have made for the love of their country. An incredible sacrifice to lay down one's life for their country. And husbands, we are called to lay down our lives, to sacrificially love our wives. This is an all-in, I'm holding nothing back kind of love. This love is action-oriented. It's not passive. It's intentional. It's courageous. It takes risk. It's, it's vulnerable. It is all in. Because that's the love of Christ. Question, husbands. How does your wife feel most loved? How does your wife experience love and, and, and appreciates that the most? What does that look like for her? Is it acts of service? Is it a thoughtful gift? Which doesn't have to be expensive, but th a thoughtful gift. Time together. Words of affirmation. Or is it physical touch? It's physical touch where you just cuddle without any expectations for more. How does your, life, your wife feel most loved? For Jody, one of the big ones is acts of service. When our kids were uh, little, you know, I'd come home and, and you open the door and you look in the house and it looks like a tornado ripped through the house, right? And you're like, what in the world happened in here? In that moment, Jody does not need me to talk to her. I'm like, honey, like, what happened in here? Like, what did you guys do all day? Like, what in the world? How about I just help her put the pieces back together before we go to bed? And then it's probably going to start over again the next day. But acts of service. What is it for your wife? And these are from the, from the Love Languages book uh, that... Again, you, you can check that out. It might be an encouragement. By loving your wife well, you're actually showing her a picture of Christ. By loving and leading her well, you are drawing her closer to Christ. Because leading her well also means leading her through God's word, leading her to pray, and praying together as a couple to share together. It goes on, verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Husbands love their wives because of oneness. I am one with my wife. If I love Jody and take care of Jody, I'm actually caring for myself because we are one. When I love her well, 
when I lead her well, that time investment will be so worth it because you're loving yourself. It's so interconnected. And it's so reflective of the oneness that God has designed for us to live out. So husbands, nurture. Nurture your wife with the love of Christ. The love that she was made to receive. Wives, nurture with the respect that he craves and God designed him to receive. Husbands, your love will fuel her respect. And wives, your willing submission will fuel his love. It speaks of God's perfect design. That doesn't mean it's easy. If you take a step back from the passage, you'll very quickly see that this passage really is all about Jesus. Christ is, is, is spread throughout all these verses. And that's because of the third point that really anchors and puts all this together. Number three, husbands and wives must be rooted in Jesus to live out God's design for marriage. Christ is the foundation of this passage because Christ is the, should be the foundation of our marriages. Paul is abundantly clear when he, when he instructs wives to willingly submit and show respect, he anchors it in their devotion to Christ, out of reverence for Christ. When he instructs husbands to love sacrificially as Christ loved the church, that's an impossible task outside of being rooted in Jesus and his love. It's only because we are, we are rooted in Jesus that we are able to live, to, to love with the love of Christ. It is this love that, is, that will allow our marriages to flourish in sickness and in health. It is this love that is rooted and anchored in the person of Jesus and his love for you flowing through you that we are able to live out a marriage in riches or in mounting debt, in temptation, in struggle. My love, my human love is simply inadequate. But it is God in me, working in and through me, that allows me to live out God's design, that allows you to live out God's design. So putting it all together then, husbands and wives must be rooted in Jesus. There is no substitute for Jesus in a marriage. You can read all the books in the world. We, we can recommend a book every week for the next 10 years. There is no substitute for husbands and wives being rooted in Jesus.
that will allow them to nurture their marriage with love and respect. It's the only way it works. Because that's how the designer designed it to work. I want to leave you with a few next steps. The first one is this. Continue to grow your roots. Continue to invest in your relationship with Jesus. Because it's because of your relationship with Jesus that you are able to to willingly submit to loving leadership. It's only because of your relationship with Jesus that you are to sacrificially love your wives. Grow your roots in Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, let me even challenge you and say, what's holding you back? Jesus has the power to transform your marriage and so much more. It looks like this, a response looks like this. A, to to admit that you are a sinner, that you can't do it on your own. B, to believe that Jesus died for that sin. He paid the penalty. He took your place. And C, to choose to follow him, to choose to live your life according to his design, including the area of marriage. Would you consider responding to his offer of salvation even this morning? Number two, husbands, wives, talk, have a conversation, ask your wife, hey, how do you feel most loved? I don't care if you've been married for like 42 years, have the conversation and just double check. I'm like, is that, am I getting that right? She's like, you're nailing it. Others, you might be surprised. You're like, actually, I, I didn't know. That's cool. Talk about how you can lead your wife. Have a conversation to, to practically start putting these things into practice. Third, a very practical um, workshop that we're putting on next week after church, uh, 2.30 to 5.30. We have the Ferrells um, who are going to be joining us, and it, it, it's, a, it's our waffles and spaghetti marriage event. And it just really illustrates the differences between men and women. We're like waffles and spaghetti, and yet we're supposed to cultivate oneness. See any challenges there? I think so. Um, this time will be very practically oriented. Some really helpful steps to put into practice. So we'd love to see you out for that, and you can register online. And so that's happening next week. Just a shot in the arm to keep going, to cultivate oneness. Fourth, we'd love to pray for your marriages also. So after the service, we have a number of people uh, that will be gathered here up front. And we'd love to just pray a, a prayer of blessing on your marriage. Uh, we'd love to do that. Would you pray with me right now? Father God, we thank you for who you are. You are the great designer of marriage. Lord, it is a design toward oneness. 
Lord, we, we want oneness to be lived out in the marriages here at Trinity Church. But Lord, we fully recognize our own inadequacies and shortcomings, so we thank you for your grace. But Lord, I thank you that you uh, continue to, to push us and transform us to become more like your son, Jesus, so we can be better husbands. We can be better wives. Lord, I want to pray especially for the marriages in this room that are very much struggling today. Lord, I pray that you would give them a picture of hope. Lord, that you would give them a picture of next steps towards rebuilding, rekindling, reconciliation, restoration. Lord, transform the brokenness that's even in this room. We know that you can do it. And Lord, for the rest of us, allow us to continue to pursue oneness with our spouses as we pursue you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.